Section 13 of the Centurions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Centurions by Biagi. Chapter 11, Part 2. Our fan hushed as a magnificent individual entered, bowing ceremoniously. He gave his name, which we immediately forgot, when he stated he came to conduct us to Her Graciousness, Alpha Centauri. God! I felt the hot flush rush to my head, then ebb away, and shuddered with sudden chill. Sheldon, ever alert for mischief, glanced my way sharply, then declared I turned the famous ashen hue. Though he could see no occasion for alarm, there were others, the fair Alpha might, ahem! and twirled his little old mustachios and leered. Sachs took my arm, murmuring encouragingly, while the splendid stranger smiled warmly, sympathetically, and not at all like a party who had burned all his passions centuries ago. We hurried down the columned hall, brilliant with reflecting lights gleaming from panel and dome. Low, sweet music greeted our ears, and judging by the hubbub, there were many people waiting to meet us. Through wide-arched entrances we caught glimpses of a great banquet hall, whose mirrored walls reflected myriad hues flashing upon jewels of gorgeously attired guests. A dazzling scene of fabulous grandeur, alcoved with a background like a gigantic painting. A dimly lit miniature forest stretched wide beyond, restful, quieting, in rich green tints, and the refreshing splash of perfumed fountains cooled the air. We stepped within this radiant magnificence. At once conversation ceased. All eyes were focused upon us. But I, ah, was oblivious to all things. My whole attention chained to the tall, statuesque form of a woman. Masses of jetty, rippling tresses reached the hem of her gown and perched upon her head, yet fitting closely, revealing perfect outlines, was a cap of dull gold ornamented with slender spikes, a huge gem flashing in the centre. She turned and quickly advanced. We bowed low before the majestic dignity of her bearing, and the face, divine, beautiful, darkly tinted, heavily browed with deep, strange eyes, whose cold, meaningless, unresponsive stare flashed a dead chill to my heart. God, how common, matter-of-fact, the world suddenly appeared! that one moment of terrible disappointment corrupted forever the divine imagery of my heaven. Oh, the folly of looking forward to realizing the crimson vividness of our imagination with hope! Dazzling white, ever circling mid the black dizziness of disappointment. Yet a life overlooked by these profound calamities is an existence of deepest damnation. But the phantom that roused an idyllic passion stood revealed and the sombre chilling orbs were powerfully magnetic. Robed in clinking white, barbarously decked with blazing jewels, she repelled, yet fascinated, compelling the gaze. She greeted Zacks with a voice of music, low, sweet, each word distinct. I gasped with a sudden bound my heart gave, and clutched Sheldon as she smiled, then threw back her head with a light laugh. Something Zacks said amused her, the roseate, smiling phantom was realized, and ecstatically, passionately, with burning, delighted glances, 
I watched this regal, glorious woman, my first disappointment completely forgotten. Easy, easy, Sheldon murmured. Don't blame you, but easy, easy. I... He saluted deeply the radiant welcome she gave him, and I... I raised her hand to my lips, kissing it twice, thrice. It closed over mine, cold, firm. She watched my action calmly, gravely, passionless. And I, my ardor chilled, remained speechless with emotion. She was an imperfect woman, a rare blossom blighted before full bloom, hard, freezing, as the terrible ice mountains I had crossed to meet her. Imperiously, she bade me follow her. We were alone, my three friends having wisely strolled away. She led to the alcoved greenery, heavy with a sweet, powerful odor of wonderful exotic plants. Silently we wandered beneath tall palms and trees of thick foliage, whose branches housed gorgeously plumed shrill songsters. I plucked a deep crimson flower and attempted to place it in her hair. She stood quite still, but the task was beyond me. In exasperation I crushed the blossom, then, stooping, suddenly pressed a kiss upon the lovely shoulder. She turned sharply. "'What's the difference?' I cried passionately. "'With my eyes I kiss you constantly.' "'Pretty boy,' she murmured musingly. "'I have seen you before. I do not remember where.' I cursed my lack of control as she led me into the glare of brilliant lights again and bade me be seated at a small table in full view of the fantastically garbed banqueteers. Sheldon was seated between two beautiful women, and all in his vicinity were convulsed with laughter. He was proving himself a wit even among these advanced people. Saunders was explaining something of vast importance. I could almost hear his nasal bilious tones, and dear old Sachs had the seat of honour. He had cleared a space in front of him, and with his forefinger was drawing marvellous circles and triangles upon the satiny damask, his every movement watched closely by eager, enthusiastic admirers. A brilliant scene, this banquet hall, with its crystal walls flashing blinding lights, and I, my senses dragged with the sensuous ether of this rich tropical idol, served with strange delicacies and rare wines basking in the intoxicating smiles of a glorious dream-vision whose eyes were more potent than wine. Centauri, yes, a marvellous picture, a masterpiece of the fabulous, whose wonderful unreality was before me, yet, I realised, and for all the splendour of rioting radiance and hilarious music, a heavy gloom overwhelmed me, a dull foreboding of the future, a glimpse of a great sorrow, a blighted life." The dark shadow of awakening obscured the vast, soft-tinted halo. My dream was not paradise, nor was the enchantress an angel. She and all her world were now aware why I crossed the frigid north, to pluck the fairest blossom from a garden of rare flowers. She conversed in low tones, her words few, just clever, tactful encouragement. She drew me out, rousing the best in me. The familiar conversational meaningless chatter had no place here. Alpha Centauri differed widely from the women of my world. I longed to tear from her face the stony mask that so marred its beauty. In my hopelessly enamoured state, I swore it was a mask, yet beneath my searching ardent gaze she calmly questioned. 
With astonishing eloquence, I described that portion of the globe from whence I hailed, which, divided into numerous nations, cordially hated each other with a hatred bred in the blood and concealed in the blatant roar of deadly patriotism, the terrible, unspeakable carnage of warfare. I dwelled long upon the beautiful, and art, and the great strides made in mechanism. I talked for hours, it seemed. I told her of my life, my great wealth, and many, many disappointments, and had reached the point in my career when the vision of herself had appeared. She was intensely interested, leaning dangerously near, while the expression of her deep eyes made me reckless. Passion mustered. I caught her hand and pressed my lips upon palm and wrist, while in broken tones I told of my love. I worship you, I murmured huskily. I love, adore you. She gazed perplexed, yet a reflection of my passion shone in her glance. A reflection only, then she smiled, faintly amused. Love, she murmured. What is love? A woman, a child, or a fancy? Once, centuries ago, she continued, love ruled Centauri. Now knowledge reigns supreme, the master of the universe. Without love, life is imperfect, I hastened to assure her. She looked puzzled, curious. I do not understand, she muttered. All know of love, but no one ever experienced it. Centuries ago, this dead science had many students. You must visit the museum, Virgilius. It contains many rare works of art. There are three gigantic sculptured forms that absorb the attention. Two are particularly noticeable for crudeness, representing art in the primitive beautiful. They were discovered in the caves of the Oxtas and have been traced back five thousand years. Each represents love, one a woman of immense but perfect proportions, the other a winged child. The third is an enormous statue revealing the touch of genius, stationed near the others, possibly for contrast to prove the progress of art. Exquisite in perfection, every line and curve wrought by a master's hand, a man and woman smile upon each other out of shapeless stone. Her lovely head rests upon his massive shoulders, his arms clasp her perfect form closely. Art has progressed little since then, and now is rapidly approaching the abnormal. From these three monstrous carvings we judge, hence, love is a primitive desire, fancy, a cultivation of early civilization, and knowledge crowns all. I would know more of this powerful, forceful science that once controlled the world. She rose and moved slowly toward the dim interior of this leafy retreat, and sank upon a mossy bank near the refreshing coolness of perfumed waters. I flung myself at her feet. A huge instrument resembling a harp was wheeled towards her. It had two sets of golden wires in a casement of crystal. Her white hands strayed idly over the wires. The vision in the burning globe was before me. Then, under her powerful touch, a volume of music rang. Sweet, wild melody. And she, who declared love a dead science, portrayed upon her instrument all the emotions of the human heart. Deep tones of passion thrilled and trembled. The strident howl of rage, hatred, the laugh of envy, the wail of anguish, all rang out clearly beneath her inspired touch. I gazed at her in doubt and amusement. 
perceiving my glance, she murmured, Knowledge is tuition, is. All emotions have their note of melody, rhythm. You worship knowledge, I told her. You can adore man. I know nothing of your country, she replied. Yet in your far zone, centuries ago, there were customs that never could be re-established. You have progressed above them. This strange sentiment you uphold is not of the intellect. The children of Centauri are followers of the divine light blessed with calmness, peace. Love still rules Centauri. Your own words prove it, I exclaimed stubbornly. Knowledge is bait. You people are greatly advanced, but in love the whole world is equal. Pride, ambition, seeks wisdom. We upon our side also bend the knee to elevation. The passion for fame, glory, is supreme. Love is the title for a thousand emotions. Greed, wealth, position, and sacrificial crimes are committed hourly to obtain them. Then there is the much-vaunted maternal love, the most unreliable of all instincts. I have known the life of a daughter made miserable, the sweet freshness of youth blighted in cynical thoughts roused by a pretty, passé, selfish, knife-tongued mother. Maternal affection, bah, it ceases the moment individuality is attained, thrusting aside yorkish, slavish control. Show me the human being who appreciates the monstrous favor of birth, is the innocent responsible for creative desire? Yet, not till dissolution does result escape the harpy reminder. There is the soul-inspiring passion for the one woman, a grand affair of a few days, chiefly experienced in this metallic period by very young girls, very old men, and occasionally, for relaxation, a staid family man indulges. I could talk for months upon this theme. It could never be exhausted. But you, Centauri, I worship. Love as no man ever loved. I will be patient. Wait years, if in the end I can teach you to truthfully say, Virgilius, I love you. She gazed at me wonderingly. To experience this marvelous sensation, to master the art of love, I would study years. For all things I must know. Strange she continued, this absorbing science should have become obsolete. Suddenly she leaned closer, her great eyes blazed, her face paled with intensity. Of your journey across the pole, she whispered, you must tell me minutely. The atmospheric influences, the state of the land, the great fiery gazer shooting up from the bowels of the earth, in the privacy of my rooms you will describe everything. I, Alpha, noted for her wisdom, would remedy, overpower the evils of nature. The benighted pivot regions shall become habitable. I will control the atmosphere. The laws of creation are desecrated by that monstrous icy waste. Earth is the vast estate of humanity, and the mystery richness of that world of frigid savageness was destined for progression to conquer. I shall realize the stupendous ambition of civilization. The reward? Immortality. Ah, immortality. She arose, erect in her superb pride, and the flow of language was magnificent in the lengthy scientific explanation she gave of how she intended to vanquish the sleeping north. I was not sufficiently familiar with the language to follow her clearly, but this I did understand. Were I not so desperately enamored, I certainly would have found her tedious. All intensely intellectual women are tedious. The idea of love is always more poignant than love, 
and I realized the task of teaching this strange creature the science of affection would be a heavy one. Softly, musingly, she continued her learned explanations. Science absorbed her. The exquisite flower face grew cold, hard, expressionless. My romantic imagination lingered around this beautiful, fascinating enigma, elusive, desirable, yet every word she uttered forced the realization of an infinite barrier of remoteness, a phantom ever. But we can ardently worship the moon, and my rapt gaze finally drew her attention. Slowly she passed her hand over her brow, then abruptly asked if I comprehended all she said. Every word, I replied gallantly. Then I must see you again, she told me. I sprang to my feet in alarm. Was it not your intention to see me again? I asked. I encounter new faces daily, she answered. They sail from my vision as the clouds overhead. You have interested me. I have mentioned the secret, my daring secret, from you. I can learn much that is important. Yes, I must see you again. I am to teach you the lost science, I murmured, going close. You have not forgotten? She glanced vaguely, then suddenly, leaning toward me, laughed softly while her whisper thrilled. Already I am learning the art of love. It begins with attraction, sympathy, ends with ennui. Should the student survive these three emotions, he has achieved the enthralling, submerging flame of desire. Each atom of humanity is a world in itself, a shell covering of volcanic emotions. Passion is the eruption, fierce, unwholesome, fleeting, leaving a wide swath of cinderous reflections tossed by the violent current of zephyric reason and gradually uplifted to the celestial heights of serenity repose. Virgilius, we shall study together, for I must know all things. Do you understand? Yes, I think I do, I told her, and you have not to learn except experience. This I shall compel you to realize, thereby giving you a dim perception of heaven and hell. With half-closed eyes she smiled. We have talked hours, Virgilius, and said nothing. I can tarry with you no longer. On the morrow we shall meet again. I have been very happy, I whispered. Happy, she cried incredulously. Since creation, the centauries have been searching for happiness and believe when all mysteries are solved, the chimera is theirs. My happiness is with you, centauri, I cried passionately. I love you, I love you. She shook her head as though I was a spoiled child, then, with a sweet, insinuating smile, departed. Rapturously, I feasted my eyes upon her as she joined the guests. She, the radiant, dazzling center of a bevy of bewitching beauties. I was consumed with ardent longings and flushed dangerous glances at her sereneness. But gay, exhilarating music, wafting in from the gardens, roused me from languorous meditations and out of the dim, heavy odor retreat into the brilliant, chameleon-glinting hall, scintillating with mirth and wit. Bold, debonair, I joined the revelers. How exquisitely fair were the women of this strange land. I found Zach's flushed with wine, haranguing learnedly and emphasizing his remarks with sweeping gestures. The subject was beyond my comprehension, but the intellectual circle about him were absorbed. Zach's monopolized their attention entirely. He informed me before I left the group that he had made engagements, including the four of us, for the following day, and told me to advise the others of it. I strayed over to Sheldon, who was in his element, making others happy. He was the center of a jovial set, and judging by the gaiety, was certainly amusing. 
I was too deeply in love to perceive the point of his jests, and out of my sphere sought Saunders, after learning, to my dismay, that Sheldon also had made engagements, including all of us, for the following day. Saunders, to my thinking, was the least interesting of the quartet. He had assumed his tilted speech-making manner, and was lecturing on the hazy, mystic beauties of the great planet Virgilius, to these people who knew more about the star than he did. I grew irritable, bored, and wrathily wondered if he, too, had arranged that we be taken somewhere on the morrow. Covertly I watched my inamorata, passive, calm of face, taller, darker, more beautiful than any woman in Centauri. Dare I approach such chilling loftiness? Yes, and subdue overpower with the potency of my own passion. Alpha Centauri shall be mine. We were born for each other. Just a sweet woman of this earth, nothing more, else could she create desire. Boldly I forced my way to her side, determined to sweep away the tantalizing indifference. I would command her thoughts, then. Ah, how irrational are dreams! Before her calm, expressionless regard, my passion quelled. She was kind, yes, a dead kindness, as with a few words and slight inclination this regal woman passed from the hall. I hastened after her. She lingered reluctantly beneath the lofty arch. Rest well, Virgilius, she murmured sweetly. In a few hours we meet again. I bent deeply before her, but glanced up quickly at the sound of a low laugh. She was gone. Her departure signaled the end of festivities, and after many salutations and best wishes, we four found ourselves alone in the vast hall, staring vaguely at each other. The lights grew dim, casting ghostly reflections in the mirrored spaciousness, and chilled with a deathly silence pervading this marvellous crystal palace, we hurried to our apartments, where several very sleepy individuals awaited us, whom we promptly dismissed. "'Tomorrow we go through the museum,' Sax informed us. "'Yes, and take in the city,' echoed Sheldon. "'And in the evening,' cried Saunders excitedly, we visit the observatory, situated upon a mountain somewhere. My acceptance is for all of us. I fancy this engagement the most important. Are you at leisure to accompany us, Sally? asked Sheldon insinuatingly. Or do instructions begin at once? No occasion to stare, he replied to my look. You have not been secretive. The women over here are all alike. When time hangs heavy and my mind unoccupied, I am to teach a couple of sweet morsels, the art of love also, which it seems only the ancients knew anything about. Innocence, however, is a thorough accomplishment in this wonderful land of advancement. It will take centuries of progression before the charm of this trait is valued by the women of our world. Knowledge is the admitted great passion over here, the foundation of existence, and so on, and sought from cradle to grave, even then not abandoned. Hence the centauri brain is ever active, verdant, and talked anui as love is a dead evil. Here a man is judged by deeds and what he knows, not by what he is worth. Wealth, the common, is thought of with indifference. Poverty has become obsolete. You see, I did not waste my time this evening, and, Sally, you have a powerful rival. You will lose, of course, that's what you came over here for, to experience a losing game, never having done so before. But look sharp. Ice-crusted volcanoes are risky toys. Notice anything peculiar about the remarkable Alpha? Certainly not. You are too much in love, he added hastily, not giving me time to reply. She is different from all the women of this land. 
The first centauri was an offshoot of the Potolili or Octragona tribes. Mark that. She has colored blood. I suspected it when I saw the old boy, but one glance at your divinity and all doubts vanished. She is the most beautiful woman in the world, I cried hotly. She is ravishingly beautiful, he replied, but no white woman looks quite as she does. She is superb, but... Take care, Sally. Should you tire, as you are up to, all men do, Centauri would be a dangerous place for us. He stretched and yawned, while I, too, full of emotion to retort, glared scornfully. He laughed good-humouredly as I hastened to my apartment. End of section 13